It is good to be here with you this weekend. Just uh, first, uh, we want to recognize that today, uh, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. We'll honor that officially and formally tomorrow. But I know you join me as we um, have a deep and sincere gratitude for the men and women that have given their lives over the years so that we might remain um, a free country, a magnificent country, and whom God has used mightily and greatly over the years. And I pray that he'll use for hundreds, if not thousands, of more years to come. So uh, Memorial Day weekend in which we pause to think and to thank um, God for, uh, for using people uh, throughout. I, I know you feel the same way. Um, there's not a time ever for me that I wonder if the government's going to walk into our doors and do anything to shut us down here for our, our religious service. And in many ways, we um, have that freedom because of men and women who have given up their lives, believing um, that this cause was greater than their very life itself. So it reminds me of Jesus. Jesus did on an eternal scale what many of our uh, men and women soldiers have done on a temporal scale, giving up their life for uh, someone else and just a great time to pause and, uh, and reflect. Today is uh, family worship. We only get a chance to do this a handful of times throughout the year. And so we shut down the, the student ministries and the kids ministries so that we can all be in here together. Now, later on, you're going to have an opportunity to discuss together, to pray together. Um, if you did not come here with family, if your kids are too old or maybe your kids just don't want to be with you like my kids don't want to be, then uh, you can uh, uh, grab someone around you. And if you don't want to grab someone around you, then just think on your own and, uh, and pray uh, silently uh, there where you um, where you'll have, that'll be an opportunity for us to uh, do that. Now, Christopher, good job. Good job with the uh, memory verse. Appreciate you coming up here and, and doing that and leading us in, uh, in the reading of the scriptures. Last thing is, I want to thank Bob. So Bob is the brainchild, Bob Evans, behind this particular series. Uh, as we talked about this a while back, he said, wow, here's what I'm thinking. I want us to do a series in which we talk about um, our need to have our eyes open to spiritual realities. And the more he talked, I said, yes, let's do that. I laid it out exactly like I said, this is where Bob's at his best. Now, I don't know if you got to see right then, Bob was an usher right then. Did you see that? I mean, there, stepped in the last minute and, uh, and to be able to do an offer. But Bob's not his best there. Bob's a rookie trying to figure out where do I go? What do I, this section over here didn't, sorry if you didn't get a play that came your way. Uh, Bob, uh, it, fantastic job um, uh, that he that, uh, with this series, and I'm just so grateful um, that we're that we're doing it. Now, here's where we've been in uh, week number one. Paul prayed for the eyes of our hearts to be open to three things: that God has an incredible future planned for us; that being God's special treasure can bring peace of mind; and that relying on God's power is the best way to live. Talk to. St- so I'll walk us through that passage in which Paul is praying for these things, that we might see the reality that God has an incredible plan for our future. The treasure, being a treasure can bring peace of mind, and relying on his power really is the best way to live. In week number two, Mike Shockey shared with us, it's an impossible, it is impossible to live with gospel purpose when we tend to live as though being right is more important than being righteous. And know that God would drive our hearts to be righteous. Last week, Todd shared with us, and I will never forget this illustration, but Todd shared with us, we're asleep when we are conformed to the world. We're awake when we're transformed by the gospel. You can't win a war when you're asleep. If you haven't heard these messages yet, I would highly encourage you to go back and, and get a hold of them. I will never forget that story of Hitler. I doubt you will either. Can't win a war 
when you're asleep. So what's our greatest need? To be awakened to the spiritual realities that are around us. Now, today is very, very simple. And I don't know how uh, we'll be able to do this. You've already seen um, a little bit of an explanation of the passage in there. I'm going to read the passage to us. And then, uh, and, and then I'll, um, just a few things to point out. Um, I've got about an hour and a half worth of content based on the amount I've studied for this. Probably studied more for this one sermon than any other sermon here um, that I've given at Wildwood. Um, and yet I've got uh, now 13 and a half minutes. So, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word, I'm going to begin in chapter 6, verses uh, 8 through, uh, through 23. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God, warning the people there to be on their guard. And this happened several times. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called in his officers and demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It is not us, my Lord. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king commanded, go and find out where Elisha is, and we will send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God, got up early the next morning and went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, my Lord, what will we do now? He cried out to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed. Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward them, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This is the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord did. And they discovered that they were in Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha told him. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their masters. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent home, uh, sent them home to their king. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. You may be seated. Now, we've read it. The story is fairly straightforward. You've heard a little bit of commentary that has been on it. But what, what is it that God desires for us to see? Why would we put this passage in this series? I don't think uh, any of us would uh, deny this. We all would love to see what it is that God is doing or that God is up to. 
Wouldn't you want to have a little bit of insight into what his plan is for the next phase of your life? Some of you are asking, Lord, I want to know what college you would like for me to go to. Some are saying, what's the next job that I'll have? Some are saying, will she say yes? Some of us are just wondering where the next friend is going to come from. Some of us are asking, when will we have the money that will be able to provide the kind of, of things that we want to provide for our family? There's all kind, we would love to have a little insight as to what God is up to. And if he would just open it up a little bit, we're not asking for the whole thing. We're not asking him for, to show us every day of our life. We're just saying, God, give me a little bit more. Because if you gave me a little bit more, I think I would have a little bit more faith. We all would love to know what God is doing. We all would love to see what God is doing. Can I tell you what I think we really need, though? We all really need to see who God is. See, deep down inside, each of us struggles with believing that God is who he said he is, and we do that based on the current circumstances of our lives. And if God is doing some things that we really like, we will see him as very good, and we'll trust him. But if he's not doing some things that we really want him to do and feel like we need him to do, then we will question his goodness and his character, his love for us. We'll question his plan, ultimately because we question his character. Now, we know we shouldn't. We feel bad about doing that. But that's the way that we are. We all want to see what God is doing. But we really need to see who God is. Can I do one last thing to apply that to? I don't know where your children are today spiritually. We all would love to see what God is going to do in their lives. But what we need to bank on is who he is. That he actually cares for them more than we do. Elisha is a prophet that has come after a man named Elijah. Now, Elijah is a strange, bizarre human being, wears weird clothes, eats bizarre food, isn't really liked by a whole lot of people. He's rejected, ostracized. Kings don't want him around. Elisha is polar opposite. He's well-mannered. He's well-spoken. Elijah has this ministry that's this wow, flash kind of a thing. The dude even goes up into the sky in this whirlwind and chariots and all this stuff. Elisha has a really long ministry career. It's just slow. It's steady. There just never seems to be a whole lot of flash. But he performs more miracles than any other prophet. Elisha is used mightily in the lives of kings as well as those who we will never read about and never hear about. Elisha's ministry is long, tenured ministry. And he is here in a place where the, the, Israel, uh, 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 the nation of Israel has split. It's gone into a northern and a southern kingdom. Remember, it's, um, uh, it's Saul, and then it's David, and then it's Solomon, and then the kingdom splits after that. And the northern kingdom typically is not, uh, is not good. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, is ultimately where Jesus will come out of that line of David. And that, that, that stays in, in that line of David for all time. There's like five different dynasties, something like that, in, in the northern kingdom. Right now, we're in a time in which the northern kingdom is being attacked with some level of consistency. They're being raided. And Elisha hears about this. So the king, the, 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 the commander over here, the guy that's trying to get after them, is irritated because God keeps revealing the plans of this man to Elisha. Now, this guy has a plan. And it tells us in here over and again, he, we're going to go get him here. We're going to go get him there. He has a plan. I hope you have a plan in life. We should not expect to do anything well in life if we don't have a plan. So plans are good. 
Scripture's not saying bad plans. Scripture's saying this, man's plans never trump God's purposes. And so he develops this plan, but God reveals it to Elisha. How does he reveal it to him? I don't know. Did he speak out loud? Possibly. Did he give that still small voice inside? I'm not sure. I do know this though. Elisha was familiar with the old scriptures because that is for sure a guarantee. This I know God is speaking. And Elisha I know is familiar with the scriptures. And so when God in a unique way revealed things to him. Uh, Elisha heard it because he knew the sound of the voice of the Lord. So he tells him what these plans are. And Elisha thwarts these plans. And the guy gets ticked, of course. Brings him in. Which one of you is the rat? Fess up. You're going down. And we're going to go get... It's not us. Look, I can't explain this, but this man of God over there, this whole... Israelite religion thing seems to be real and that the God over there, you remember, like saved them from all kinds of things in the past. The walls fell down, et cetera. The same God is doing something with Elisha and says, well, let's go get Elisha. If Elisha is the problem, I'll remove the problem. What he didn't realize is that God didn't need Elisha. It wasn't Elisha's gifts or even his character. That was just the one who God was using. And had he been successful in getting rid of Elisha, meaning this man, this, this king here, had he been successful, God would have raised up another. His plans would never match with God's purposes. And so this guy gets ticked. And so what does he do? He goes and he sets up this army, chariots, horses, this massive army. And then the servant of Elisha, one who is training up underneath him, one who's learning, who's just there sort of uh, uh, dwelling uh, in, in the presence of God as Elisha would be. This guy wakes up and in the morning he sees this massive army and he responds like any of us would. Oh my. Have you been there? Have you been obedient to God's call on your life? His will has revealed what you are walking in the ways of God. And God leads you right to a place where what's in front of you looks really bad. And there's no way for you to see a way out of this. God took the Israelites and he rescued them from the land of slavery. He walks them right up into this place where they have water in front of them. They have an army behind them and then they can't go east or west simply because of, again, to either side because of the terrain. And they're in a place where they have no other option. And so how did they respond to God leading them to this place. How'd they respond? Lord, thank you so much. We trust you. No. They responded with, did you lead us out here to kill us? Ever had that go through your mind? Lord, did you bring us to this edge? We thought we were obeying you. We thought we were doing things the way you've called us to do them. It seems as though you've put us here. Now, what do you want to do? What we don't need to see is what God is doing. What we really need to see is who God is in those moments. God didn't lead them out there to destroy them. And he wasn't leading Elisha and his group here to destroy them. So Elisha does something that I think is crucial for us to see this morning. It really is the main point. Elisha prays. 
When we lack spiritual sight, pray. Because getting spiritual sight is not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of teaching. It's not a matter of effort. It is about the Holy Spirit doing something that only God can do. We can't open our own eyes. God has to do that for us. How do we do that? We ask. Three times Elisha prays in this, and three times the Lord responds to that request. What I'm not saying is this, that every time we pray, the Lord's going to give the answer that we want. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the Lord hears his children. And your son or your daughter or your parent or your sibling or your coach or your coworker, whatever it may be, the person that you are praying for, God, would you open their eyes? Prayer is your greatest asset. Your ability to convince them is not your greatest asset. Your vast amount of knowledge is not your greatest asset. The greatest thing you can do is to hit your knees and say, God, would you do something? He prays, the servant sees the reality of what's already there. Please hear this. It's not like these angels came and showed up after Elisha had prayed. They were already there. They were already present. He just couldn't see what was true. And so when Elisha prayed, the Holy Spirit intervenes in time and space. The eyes of the servant come open and he sees the reality. And now his perspective of God changes. Oh, you are fighting for us, even though I couldn't see it. Now, one little detail. Where does this take place? Dothan. Not Alabama. Great city. Takes place in Dothan. When's the only other time you hear about Dothan in the scriptures? When Joseph was sold into slavery, thrown into a pit. And what was Joseph's perspective at that moment of what it is that God was doing? Do you really think that he had the perspective of, thank you so much. I, I realize that adversity is good for me, Lord. And I just want to praise you in this particular. Now, I, I don't think so. What would God do for the next several years? Trial after trial, he'd be forgotten. The folks high up in the government forgot. Lies spread about him. Over and again, the guy just gets messed over. What was God doing? See, what Joseph didn't need to see was what it is that God was doing. He really needed to see is who God is. Back to Elisha, he prays, the servants opens eyes. Then what happens is this. Elisha then says, God, would you now close the eyes of those who are intending to do us harm so that they cannot see the reality? So God closes their eyes, and then he walks right out to them and says, hey, it's, uh, it's not where you're supposed to be. In fact, I'll take you to the person who you're looking for. Tim, he didn't lie. I would take you. I'm just going to go with you. Takes them over there, and they get right into the capital city where the army is at their best, where this, now these folks who were blind walking in are now sitting ducks. And the king of Israel says, Woohoo! Fantastic! We got them! Elisha, do you want me to kill them? Is that what God wants? You don't know much about God, do you? 
would we kill prisoners of war? I want you to kill them with kindness. Make them a meal. The king evidently sort of gets it, and he does even more than what Elisha was asking. He throws them this huge banquet, and then he sends it back. And then what does it say right at the end of this passage? That they raided no more. They went from being warred against to now being at peace. What was Jesus in the business of doing his entire ministry? Making peace with enemies. How did he do it? By enforcing them? By overwhelming them with violence? Now, you remember when he was on the cross? And those that had put him up there, those that had put a crown of thorns on his head, they had mocked him and ridiculed him, they had beat him. They, those were there, the crowd that's gathered. And, and what does Jesus do? Oh, forgive them. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. The heart of God. All the way back. Yes, God is a God of justice. Absolutely. God will have his justice. It will either go on Jesus or it will go on all who do not come to Jesus. But God gives a grand invitation to all who are currently his enemies. Come. Come to Jesus. Pray. I'll open your eyes. And I'll make you my friend. I don't know what it is that you face today. The servant could not see a way out. His eyes were open and he got to see a good God. The enemy could not see a way forward when their eyes were open and what they got to see was a good God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. This is what they did to treat them. I don't know what you face. I do know this. Pray that God will open your eyes. What do we need? We need two things, in my opinion. The Holy Spirit uses these two things over and over and over again. He uses God's word, and he uses prayer. So whoever needs it in your life, whatever it is you need, pray that God would get his word into their minds and hearts, and you fall on your knees and beg a good God to do what he's capable of doing.